<laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to like take shots at my dad here, but before we would say, okay, this business unit did 7 million. And so what are we going to do next year? And he would just be like eight and a half. Oh, he would just, <laughs> like, it's like, why? Because yeah, sounds like we're, a good because number. we want to grow. Felt it. Yeah. 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 And then they'd or maybe like, just set it out for target. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Sometimes that's just what you got to do. It's a gut feeling. The negative side of that. And like, he's weirdly close and he always was. You know what that's called, my friend? Wisdom. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it's called. You know, Jim, we talk about people and culture a lot on making chips. We do. But the numbers are important. The numbers don't lie. The scorecards, you got to pay attention to them. They just don't lie. And I have to tell you now that we implemented ProShop, I have access to real-time data that we never had before. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. For instance, part of the structure of our quarterly meetings that you're familiar with is to look at the numbers, right? You review the numbers. Yeah. You got your scorecard. It used to be an arduous process to extract those numbers from our old ERP or old accounting software and report on them. I used to have to delegate those reports to our bookkeeper or simply do it a day or so before. I hear you. Now those meetings, I can go right to the work by industry dashboard and toggle between sales volume by customer using date filters for any time period. Oh, that's fantastic. It is. You have no idea how helpful it is. So glad I chose ProShop for our company. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and I'm joined by two future-proof co-hosts, Jason Zenger, Jim Carr. What's up, guys? Hey. What's happening? Thursday afternoon. Tell me what the future looks like. I want to know. I didn't know you got a crystal ball. I'm getting one soon. Okay, okay, good. We need it. I'm going to an event where they have a crystal ball. Okay. That, that's why I'm doing it. And what are they going to tell you? You know I don't believe in those things. They're going to tell me the forecast for manufacturing. It's MT forecast. MT forecast. You've been there. You've, I think you spoke at something yes, like that. something. So I'm going to listen, not to speak. Okay, cool. Because what the wise people in this world, they listen. Okay. And I want to be one of them. You know what makes me happy? That you're going with your dad. Yeah, heck yeah. yeah. Well, I'm trying to, you know, get him tuned up on the future of the industry, just like I'm doing that no, for it's myself. Important. So. Just like we talked about recession last week, I think it's important that you go to events like this where there's intelligent people, not just Jim Carr, giving his opinion. I think you're intelligent, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. I must be doing something, but right? As far as an economist? He just looks everything up on Google. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing because he knows it's true. It's, it is true. <laughs> what no. is a recession? Part of Metalworking Nation, you've now discovered how Jim gets all of his content for making chips. He just looks it up on Google and pretends like he's smart. I definitely a feeling so no i have to admit i get a lot of my information the same way but yeah you know i mean who doesn't like that's the search engine half that drives original half unoriginal you just need yeah. to know i think the key is knowing how to filter out the results and find something that's not crap exactly so all right guys i have a question for you yeah i got an answer scale of one to ten yes one being you're screwed ten being you are fully future proof okay how future proof are you right now well, I think this goes back mm. to what well, we talked not, about in the previous episode. And of episode. course, Jason's not answering the question. He just said one through 10. Well, oh, one through 10. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So how future-proof am I? I honestly can't even answer that because <laughs> like, we've been thrown so many curveballs, yeah. unknowns, 
things coming out that we would never have anticipated. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to answer that. But don't Why? you feel resilient because, because you made I don't know it through? what the next thing is. But you made it through I something feel, as crazy yes. as the pandemic. I feel very resilient I mean, what because could be worse of what I that? came through. <laughs> but honestly, I want to humble myself and know that there's something out there Amen. that I don't necessarily know how to handle. And I'm going to have to rely on other people to try to figure out how to get through that, like Baking Chips Podcast and all the great people that we have here. Sure. So I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer a one to 10, but I feel like going back to the previous episode, let's just be as fiscally responsible as we possibly can be so that we don't get too aggressive and we run into a situation. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a solid eight. I feel comfortable saying that number. Jim's not humble on the other side. No, no, no. (laughs) You asked me today how I feel. I mean, it could change next month. You know, whatever's after Delta variant hits and it's yeah, 10 times right. worse than everything else. Yeah, are you, I mean, how screwed are you? you? Do, all I can do is answer the question how I feel today. Eight. Sure. Eight. I'm, a, I'm an eight. Yeah. But how do you feel? Okay. So professionally, yeah, professionally, professionally, we're really diversified, which is good. Much more than we used yeah, to be. Right. Are we? Right. And so that's that makes me feel stronger professionally. And then personally, like, I'm confident in the future. So we'll just put it that way. Having confidence, regardless is a of good what happens, character. if I lose all my money, I lose all my house. Like right. my hope isn't in those things anyway. So I'm confident in the future. You good. Know, I got a, a solid family, solid faith, and I'm confident at like whatever happens, whatever life throws at me. Cool. So, so what does the future of our and our the metalworking nation's industry? What, well, I got some manufacturing industry. news. Yeah. Oh, let's do that. But we always got to do something fun. We need happy What's time. That? Happy time. Go ahead. I'm going to start happy time with what makes me happy. Sports. Yeah. So we're in uh, the end of October, and everyone who's a sports fan knows that October is like the best sports month. Why? Enlightening. Everything's happening. Okay. So you've got hockey hockey just started. Basketball just started. Football's right in the middle of the season. Yep. You're in the playoffs in baseball. What game are they on now? Are the 16... Uh, I think they just had the uh, game one, the Braves one. No, 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 no. Oh, you're not talking about the World Series. No, no, no. I'm talking about the... Um, what is it? Week seven or okay. eight or yeah, nine? I figured so, we're yeah. about halfway through the something season like already. Yeah. yeah. But it's just like, there's always something on to watch. Right. Exactly. So, so that's kind of cool. Because when it starts getting dark at like five or six o'clock I in know. Chicago and you're just like, oh, I know. what's going to keep me awake? At least there's a ball game on. So that's it for me. Right. Jason, you find a lot of joy in books. And I so do. you talk about your books. I Tell enjoy... me about your leather-bound books. <laughs> I do have a few leather-bound books, but not many. Yeah, that's not necessarily <laughs> my thing. So you want to know the book that I'm reading right now? I do, yeah. Yeah, so the book that I've got teed up, I was just like trying to rack my brain to think about it. It's called Just Thinking About the State, and it's a theological discussion on the role of government. Mm. Oh, wow. That I'm sounds, into that. That sounds deep. Yeah, it's pretty Too deep. deep for me. Yeah. Jim's uh, vomiting in his mouth thinking yeah. about that book. I actually think it sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Jim, sorry. And you know what? Well, you want to hear the other interesting thing about it? Sure. It was a book that was sprouted out of a podcast. Oh, cool. And it's actually something that I've been thinking about, too, about writing a book that might sprout out of the Making Chips okay, podcast. Okay, I'm going to go on a small marketing rant. Okay, really quick. So, okay. There's a couple different ways to like make great content, right? And one way you could put the the Magna Carta together. You write an amazing book. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, based on the feedback you get from this book that you worked so hard on, you make all this other stuff. Like maybe it turns into a podcast or maybe it turns into a bunch of articles or something like that. Or other video. ways, other ways, like what you just described, you have a blog or a podcast or something where you're like giving little pieces of content piece by piece. And then later you assemble it into something really awesome. Cool. Yep. Think about this for a second, guys. What if someone took every episode we've ever done, we're getting close to 300, 
And they just yeah, organized right it into like all the best parts and they wrote a book for manufacturing oh, leaders. Cool. Well, that's somebody. I mean, if somebody did that, they would be ripping us off. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> so, that somebody could be you. Right, yeah. exactly. But you know what I mean? Like somebody could be the person that created the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but like that's just a way to do it. Right. Like oh, we absolutely. have this great podcast yeah. and then as this thing grew organically, like we realized, wow, you know, we've covered sales and marketing stuff. We've covered recession talk we've covered workforce talk like that that's where my thought comes from and so like for somebody out there don't take somebody else's content and write a book around it because that would be like plagiarism but you know (laughs) start creating your own content with the end game of maybe putting it into that magna carta yeah or if you have the magna carta vision start there start there and then you could start like kind of dripping it out a little by little exactly so jim Happy time for you has a lot to do with what you're listening to. Yeah, it is. What's um, the music? You know, and just to reiterate, you have emotional connection to sports. And Jason, you have an emotional connection to books. And I have an emotional connection with music. It, yeah. It's helped me through some bad times in my life. I like hearing it. it. makes me feel good. It's always going on in my office. But right now, I'm kind of going a little back retro. I'm listening to Boston from the 70s. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love more than Boston. a feeling. I know. I love all that stuff, too. But then I'm also listening to some old school disco, like 70s, yeah. like Fly Robin Fly by the Silver Connection. And I don't know who any of those people Yeah, are. I know. Well, you you shouldn't, actually. It'd be, it'd be embarrassing if you did. But I do. And I like th- some old stuff. Those songs bring me back. They make me feel good. And they lift me up when you have a I bad like a day. little disco. I think it's in my DNA. Yeah. My, you, you well, mentioned- you like Daft Punk. Yeah, and they did a disco album. I know, and, I know. And you mentioned know. You my dad. Me my dad's nickname is Disco Dietmar because oh, he loves dad? he loves disco. Is he really? <laughs> yeah. I got to talk to him about that. That's cool. Yeah, I was I was one of those guys back in the days. So. That's awesome. But yeah, it makes me happy, and there's nothing wrong about feeling happy, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. So what do we got, bud? So manufacturing news. Okay. So I'm going to hear. We're from... going to manufacture some news, and we're going to talk. No, about No, it's already been manufactured. Okay. That's okay. The great good, part. Good. And it's going to be manufactured next week at, when I go to this conference. But okay. one of the people I'm going to be uh, hearing from who is my guy named Brian Bulao. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. I think but you he's just the, messed that up. Probably. He's the CEO of ITR Economics. In Manchester, New Hampshire. I know where that's And so at. he wrote this article you know, for SME.org. Those of you that don't know, it's a Society of Manufacturing Engineers. Yep. And it's a really long article. So I'm just going to take some excerpts from the article. You don't I, have to read it though, do you? I'm going to read a little bit. Okay, and then you guys, you guys can elaborate. Can you can share even more wisdom than this economist but the point here is like we talked about being future proof or this episode's going to be about uh, forecasting how do you produce a forecast for your business and so my article's right alongside that Everything's nice so like when you line. say a forecast you mean like kind of like a budget except only yeah, on the sales yeah, forecasting, side of well for me it's the sales side and then other yeah. people use that to figure out okay what are our costs looks like what, what is the profit picture yeah but, but it usually starts with the inputs yeah for sure right on so all right. Here's what Brian and had they, to the say. rest of the company always gets mad because you know then you think everything starts with sales and then it becomes this infighting. Yeah, but it kind of does. Work. I mean, doesn't it start with As sales? A sales guys. <laughs> well, it starts with sales. It flows through operations and it ends with finance, right? So, I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. All right, sales is the best. I'm not arguing with you. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here's some quotes. So, in the near term, the U.S. manufacturing outlook in 2022 is positive. So, this Brian Brian Belaus says. Okay. The leading indicators are strongly positive and consumers have a lot of money at their disposal. You talked about that on the last episode, both of mm-hmm. you guys. Bilal explains, business confidence is rising yep. and corporations are experiencing a stimulus-related liquidity surge. Oh, exactly. 100%. We got, we got cash. However, he cautions, the magnitude of rise is coming out of the depths of the pandemic recession and it can't be sustained through 2022. The rate of rise will slow, but the indices that reflect 
macroeconomic manufacturing will rise, albeit with seasonal variations to the trend. So that sounds like a really freaking smart guy. Basically, I... No, he's just using big words. Yeah, big words, right? So He's probably no smarter than you, Nick. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't think a bunch of people are going to listen to me talk about the economy, but I can read from here. That's okay. So he says, or the article continues, clearly ITR's pre-pandemic forecasts, there's that word, were mostly mooted by the magnitude of the natural disaster. So the how, pandemic. Yeah, exactly. However, when we were in the early days of the pandemic, like March 15th through the 28th, yep. when the stock market was cascading downward yep. and governors were shutting down parts of their states, yep. we altered course. Weighing data from December 2019 to February 2020 in eight headline categories, ITR logged 92.8% or greater forecast accuracy across the board before the weight of the uh, pandemic began to be felt. So this like, okay, good. These guys are pretty accurate. But he says, now for this year, he continued, our forecasts in many cases needed to be raised because of the sheer magnitude of the fiscal and monetary stimulus resulting from the pandemic. So they had to raise their forecast because of the effect of all this money. Mm -hmm. We seem to be on track now. Having seen the stimulus plan more totally and being able to dial in their probable impact, the stimulus has also caused us to rethink and lower our expectations for the middle of this decade because of the intermediate to longer term consequences of the government's actions. Really fancy way to say all this money is going to make things go really good, but uh, come to the middle of the decade here, you know, okay, it's, you know, what goes up must come down, right? That's what we're talking about the middle of 2020s. Yeah. Okay. So like 2025. Yeah. That, because when Mm. you were talking about recessions, I think that's lofty, but it's, I mean, it could happen. Yeah. You're talking about recessions coming. It, it is. And it, it's always coming. But it's always I don't coming. think it's coming in 2022. I think it's going to be a really good year. So I would agree. I would agree too. You got to watch out for, you know, like these, all those indicators we talked about in the last episode, earnings. I'm just looking at the screen over here and it said Starbucks falls on earnings, not meeting, meeting objectives. Right. So. What's the Tyson quote? Like everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Exactly. Yeah. So we got punched in the face yeah. by the pandemic. Yeah. And you never know what's going to punch you in the face. <laughs> you don't. Right. You don't. But you still have to look forward. You still have to produce a forecast. And that's what the episode's going to be about today. Because honestly, a lot of our episodes come out of what we're dealing with in our lives. Exactly. I'm dealing with forecasting right now. Yep. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how we forecast. It's not like perfect. I want to hear how you guys forecast. We all operate off of a P&L. We all have a budget. So um, I'll just ask some questions, some questions that everyone needs to think about when you're producing your forecast. Mm-hmm. So first question. What are the factors you consider when you're forecasting? And here's some of them, right? What can you expect based on your past history? So like, what kind of a clip do you grow at? Something you guys think about? Like kind of like the foundation of your company and like what you can maintain? Well, like, okay, so if... No, I don't understand. Can you articulate that a little bit? 4% in 17, 5% in 18, and 6% in 19. Well, I don't think you can expect anything, but you can have goals and set yeah. rocks to achieve what you're going to do in the future, right? right. I'm just saying. So if if historically I mean, you've grown at, you know, three, four, five, six percent, you'd like you're to not going to say, oh, we're going to be 50 percent bigger. No, next year. it's not sustainable. Yeah, right. it's just not. Re- some it's companies not grow that fast. Like, yeah, it's like a software company right. or something yes. like that. Yeah. So that's one factor. The other is, is like, who were your top 10 customers this year? Yeah. That's an important thing to that look at huge. and say, okay, how much can I continue to expect from those yep. clients? Like, exactly. I just had a conversation with 
one of my top 10 customers. And he was like, well, I'm starting to see some softness in some of our clients. I'm like, well, that's going to translate to his business and it's going to translate to my business. Exactly. To what degree that is, we need to do a little bit more digging to find out. And what percentage of your business is your top 10 or five or 20 customers, you know? So that's like the head and then you got the tail, which is all the little transactional stuff. Everyone mm-hmm. who buys a couple cutting tools once in a while from you versus the integrated yeah, uh, absolutely. partners that you have. Yeah. Who are your top 10 targets for new business? So you're talking about new industries, new emerging Yeah, like who's that next great aerospace manufacturer that you're quoting and you know like what could a they new do? new space company. Yeah, There's right. plenty of those going on right now. So we think about those two things. One is more focused, as, as from a sales perspective, one is more focused on key account management. Mm-hmm. Like the accounts you already have, how do you grow the wallet share? If they spend a million dollars in your category and you're getting... Um, Half of that, you're getting a half half million, right? So sure. how do you get to where you're getting two-thirds of that or you're getting 80% of that or whatever? That's key account management. You already have the customer. You're just trying to demonstrate value and get more. But the second one about, you know, who are your top new targets? That's going to be about, okay, like, how do I create the next key account? Right. You know, how do I make well, someone who's nothing something? It's very important to be thinking about that. Absolutely. Because as the economy moves forward... Industry highs and lows change, and there's always a new sector. There's always a new emerging technology. Are you segueing? You're segueing for me. Yes, that's perfect. So, what's going on in your markets? Your key markets. Yeah. If you're doing semiconductor stuff, well, Mm -hmm. this year was awesome for semiconductor Mm -hmm. stuff. So, the markets you serve are aerospace. We had a kind of a not great year for commercial aerospace. Commercial aviation. Yeah. Yeah. And And aerospace is a little different. Yeah. But like uh, defense wasn't so bad. Defense wasn't so bad. Right. Well, and you can also look at your market as, okay, are there other ancillary markets that you're starting to get more business from? So like we were just talking about like, you know, machining composite materials. Well, if you start making an investment in that side of the business, if that marketplace starts to ramp up and you've developed some expertise there, you can, you know, expect to be the beneficiary of that increase in the market. You can do a podcast on composites, aren't you? No, I was going to talk about it a little bit during mine. I mean, there's not a whole lot more to talk about, but yeah. I mean, I, we could bring in an expert that understands that a little bit more, but that would know, be cool. Yeah. Metalworking Nation. You probably know Zometry as a digital platform where you can get custom manufacturing on demand with instant quotes. But let me tell you about something new. Now you can source high volume projects directly from Zometry suppliers. Do you have a higher volume CNC sheet, die casting, or metal printing project? Do you need to get multiple quotes from different vendors and you have time to wait to get them? Now you can get many quotes directly from the Zometry network suppliers. You have total control. You name your target price, your target lead time, and you directly communicate with suppliers to get the best deal. This is a new way to source bigger jobs different from instant quoting. You can upload your 2D or 3D files. So it's more than just instant quoting from Zometry. You can source high volume projects directly from the Zometry suppliers. Check it out at Zometry.com. That's X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. My next one is what does your open capacity look like? So let's say it requires a certain type of tooling or a certain type of uh, machinery to machine a certain type of material. Well, you can't forecast monster growth if you can't afford the tooling or the machines. So like if you're already at capacity and you need to buy a new building and, you know, expand and hire all these people, that takes time. So you probably shouldn't forecast all the sales yet. Mm -hmm. And just like your capacity, you know, what's happening with your supply chain? So 
we have a certain product that requires this aluminum extrusion that we get from Europe. And we couldn't get that because of the supply chain after the pandemic. So right. we had to reduce our sales forecast for that particular would you? So, why don't you source that domestically? Because we couldn't find the same aluminum profile at a competitive cost. Okay. And we figured, you know, the supply chain is going to bounce back anyway. It. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, but yeah, like, it's slow to bounce back. But to your point, you can be more aggressive with your forecast if you have multiple suppliers instead yes. of being confined to just they, one. There, there's a lot of redundancy Or if you've got a now. good supplier company, a good distributor who can help you figure that out. Okay, yeah. what are some alternate sources? I know some aluminum extruders. Yeah, there you go. Next. And we talked about this. We don't have to beat this, but like what's going on with the economy, of course. So what's going on in your markets and things kind of close in radius to your business, but what's going on with you know geopolitical situations and just the overall economy? And let's be honest, that's a big part of it. You know what I mean? Like I think I've said this before on the show, the integrator that used to work at Zengers and Black, he used to say, do we have good salespeople who are able to close business or are they just floating in the waves? So, you know, you float up in the wave and you float down in the wave, right. you float up in the wave and you float down in the wave. And that's what a lot of our business has to do with kind of floating up in the wave. And then when it goes down, floating down. And so you just got to, you got to take that into consideration. You're going to be busy if we're busy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're going to be busy if, you know, like the so, aerospace or whoever those industries are busy. I yeah. always relate it to... Like I think about there's professional poker players. So mm -hmm. poker's a game of luck. And there's people that get lucky. <laughs> right. Well, there's how can you be a professional if it's all about luck? Well, so, no, I mean there, there's a little bit of skill. Yeah, they're good poker, at reading right? the rest of the people. They're good at maximizing their good luck right. when, when it's good time and minimizing their bad luck when they got a bad set of cards. And I think it's the same thing as a leader. You know, a lot of the market factors becomes like fifty percent of your success. And the other fifty percent is whether you've got the skills. Yeah, exactly. And then this one's going to be kind of a little new. It's, it's actually an old typology, but it's kind of new to a lot of people. I don't know a lot of people know about like, what is your aggressiveness strategy? So I, I remember this from school. These two. What is your aggressiveness strategy? So I think what Nick's trying to say, correct me if I'm wrong, this kind of goes to the fact of the more aggressive you are, the more riskier you're going to be. Risk so it's almost reward. like you could say like, what's your risk quotient? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yes. So, Miles and Snow, two guys from 1978. I don't know their first names, but I remember reading about them and, and doing some work like this when I was in school for my marketing degree. And they proposed that firms in general develop relatively stable patterns of strategic behavior. They do this in order to accomplish a good alignment with how they perceive the environmental conditions. And so like their typology involves four strategic types. They have defenders, prospectors, analyzers, and reactors. And I want to ask you guys, like, which one resonates the most with you? So I'll start with Prospector. So companies that would be in the, you know, Prospector type would be those that extend their success through global expansions and finding new markets, new opportunities. That's mm. a Prospector. Okay. Okay. A Defender. Is, uh, you're going to ask us which one of these we relate yeah, to the most? Yeah, which one do you relate the most? Okay. A Defender concentrates upon existing operations and defending their home turf. Mm -hmm. So being awesome at what you're good at. Okay. Not necessarily going out and prospecting for new stuff all the time. A reactor responds arbitrarily to strategic actions initiated by competitors. Mm. So mm. what's my competition doing okay. and how do I react to that? Okay. And then an analyzer, they take a middle ground approach between being a prospector and a defender. So really kind of solidifying where they're strong and like defending that home turf, as it says, but also kind of like, seeking out new opportunities where it makes sense. Okay, so I would say, so I've got kind of two hats that I would put on here. 
when I started making chips, I would say that I was very much a prospector. Okay. And I've started other divisions within Zengers where like our VIP supply division where, you know, we sell at cost with a management fee. And I was very much in that prospector mode. But I would say overall, I'm probably more of a analyzer where I'm balancing that prospector and that defender. Side yeah. Of so if prospectors one end of a spectrum, defenders the other, you're a little in the middle, but more on the prospector Right. Side. Because for me, you know, like cultivating that foundation and defending that turf is very, very important. Like being that, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, being kind of that invisible partner in our clients' operations is a big part of what we do. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it depends on the services that our clients want. Some of it is very much prospecting and some of it is very much defending. Sure. Jim, which one resonates with you? Definitely defenders, but I definitely think that prospectors has become more prevalent in our business strategy over the last four years. So, so more of an analyzer. An analyzer, but a 75% defender, 25% prospector. Yeah. So whereas Jason's probably the flip. Yep, exactly. That's what yeah. I just that's what I just figured out after he said that. What about you? For me, I'd be more on the prospector end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Our business is probably right in the middle. Mm-hmm. So we got to defend our home turf where that's we, cool. You know, we make chip conveyors. There's what four main manufacturers in North America for chip conveyors. Sure. We really want to like own that turf. Right. We want to be great. But then there's, we get into new markets and stuff as we see fit, you know? Yeah. So the reason why I bring it up, like your aggressiveness strategy has a lot to do with how you forecast. If you're going to launch five new products and get into all these new markets, then you need to think about that when you produce your forecast. So let's transition away from like all the factors you think about when you're forecasting and who makes the forecast? You know, at your company, Jim, who makes the forecast? Probably me. And so like, do you consider all but, those I things? Mean, I talk about this with my leadership team, not typically weekly at our weekly L10s, but at, definitely at our quarterlies and then definitely at our annual meetings, for sure. Yeah. So you don't do it on an island? We don't do it. I know. No, because one person cannot run a company. Totally I need, agree. I need people to engage with. I need collaboration. I need people to tell me how they feel. What's their gut instinct telling them? Because I believe that there's something to that. Yeah, you got to balance a little of the gut instinct with like, okay, well, give me some data to back up why you feel the way you feel. So that's kind of interesting. So I've talked about this book on the show that I read that was really impactful called Humanocracy. And one of the things that it said in that book is that based on the studies that they did, maybe not the studies they did, but the studies that they cited, the future outlook from the perspective of, say, like, should I get an entire? Out? No, I'm good. Okay. The future outlook as it related to like the survey of your entire company mm-hmm. was always more accurate than the smartest CEO of like a global sure. Fortune 50 company. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. So you could have a real skeptical, pessimistic CEO or a real crazy optimist. The average, the mean opinion is what was yeah, most Yeah, just the average worker yeah. always beat them. Both were important. Yeah, but well, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's the CEO that's got to call the shot. Right. I mean, I think it's a good idea to survey your team, survey your clients, survey your partners and really get a good. So do you own the forecast for your business? Oh, yeah. Producing that? Is that your? Yeah. Like I would call it, you know, just like our budget with the forecast being the top side of that. Sure. And yeah, that's my responsibility. And do you require anything from anyone else? Like inputs that flow Um, to you? I'll ask questions. Yeah, but they don't have to turn something in. They're not required to turn something in, but I do ask questions and get their feedback. And, you know, the rest of my team is not necessarily being evaluated on the forecast. Sure. They might be evaluated versus the budget that I come up with. And we set objectives based on that. But yeah, it's it's mine. So we've done it kind of 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to like take shots at my dad here, but before we would say, okay, this business unit did 7 million. And so what are we going to do next year? And he would just be like eight and a half. Oh, he would. Just, <laughs> like, it's like, why? Because yeah, sounds like we're, a good because number. we want to go. Felt it. Yeah. 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 And then they'd or like, maybe just set it out for target. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Sometimes that's just what you got to do. It's a gut feeling. The negative side of that, and, and like he's weirdly close, and he I always that, was. But that's you know what that's called, my friend. Wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's called. But I think the negative side of that is you got to get buy-in, especially for like like me. I have regional guys who have regional numbers they need to hit. Right. I've got product guys, business unit guys who have product numbers they need to hit. And so if I just if, you know from the top down, we just say, okay, here's your number, and they don't believe in it. It's not going to motivate them. No, they have no, to have buy-in. They, they have to have buy-in for sure. So now we do like what we're calling bottom up, top down. So bottom up would be my regional guys need to submit to me answers to certain questions, like the questions we brought up at the beginning of this podcast. And then what should your goal be for each of the products that you're selling in your in your region? Right. And then why? Like, why did you choose that number? And that doesn't mean that that's their goal, but at least I got that first. Same thing with the product, guys. Like, what's your goal going to be across all the regions that you sell the product and why? So that's the bottom up. And then from the top down, it's, okay, well, what does our company need to do that, you know, what's our capacity? What's our growth strategy? How aggressive do we intend to be? All that. And then we say, okay, you're insane. You're high on that one. So we're going to bring that one down. You need to like kind of drink some coffee next time and, you know, maybe have a couple of Red Bulls and get excited because that was lame. Like we need to grow more than that. You know, we make adjustments up or down and then we come up with, okay. What direction do you normally trend in? I would say we probably adjust it up a little more than we would adjust oh, it Oh, so down. you're a little bit more on the conservative side? No, I, we adjust the number up. Like we push a little harder than they thought that we could Because you want to push your sales team? Okay. Yeah. But again, like, okay, so if I'm setting quarterly targets and they're all based on that forecasted goal... And no one really believes, no matter how much the stars align or how hard we all work, no one believes that we can hit that target. It's not motivating. Right. So it's got to be challenging, but achievable. Cool. So anyway, it's just interesting to hear kind of how you guys forecast. I'm going through this process right now. Believe me, ours is just done in the VTO. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we forecast. We set, you know, our one, three and 10. And and we're trying to get better at it. So if any of the listeners have like a really great methodology yeah, let for us forecasting. Know. How do they get a hold of us? Yeah, we'd love to have you on the show. So there's a text number that you know and I don't. I don't know it. Actually, I forgot. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> why don't you just shoot us a, an email at info at makingchips.com. There you go. That's the easiest way. Or you could go to makingchips.com, subscribe yeah. to our stuff. They could um, even call us if they want. Reach out to us that way. Call us. What's your sure. cell phone? Oh, Jim's not going to give out his cell phone. If, no. Hey, put it this way. If you connect with us and ask a serious question, you play your cards right, Jim Carr might give you a cell phone number. There you go. I'll get, <laughs> my, I'll get my cell phone out. Go no, ahead. I've ended up texting and talking to lots of our listeners. Yeah, so. so have I. Anyway, now is the time to look ahead. It really is. And if you can't look ahead, you're not going to be making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. Oh, 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 oh,